Hey, and my name is Matt Evans, one of the pastors on our team. My privilege, whether you've gathered in Hickson, Tennessee, or Ringgold, Georgia, Chatsworth, Dalton, Calhoun, welcome to our Christmas weekend, our Christmas celebration from, from all of us to you. We hope you have a very Merry Christmas, and we hope that uh, today God would do something and stir something uh, in your heart. As, as Christians, whether you're a Christian or not, sometimes it's helpful for, if you're not a Christian, for me to explain that what Christians believe, and we believe that God operates through His Holy Spirit and through His Word. And so tonight, today, as we're talking, as we're singing, God may stir something, God may impress something, whether it's a need for prayer or it's a need to take a next step. So we have something for you to help you communicate that because you can't do this alone. You do it through your church family. You do it through people who are pulling for you, which we are here today at Rockbridge. So we have a next step card. So you just might want to have this in your hand or if you have a, like a phone or a purse, just have this available in case as we're talking today, singing today, God would stir you to ask for prayer or to take a next step in his direction. So I want to share with you that's kind of a a tough statement. You might have said this statement. I've definitely said this statement. And the statement is this, if I had only known you know, that's like a statement of, of regret. It's like, hey, I wish I, ha- I wish I could do over based on what I know now. I mean, some of us have said that, you know, after we ate a certain way or lived a certain way or did something on Friday night that we didn't really want to happen. And if we'd known that was going to happen, if I had only known. It is just a statement that, God, if I, had some, if I knew what I knew now, I would rewind and make a different choice, a different decision. I'd use a different set of words. I wouldn't have dated that person. I wouldn't have gone to that place at that time, and it's just a statement of regret. For me personally, I have a fear around this statement around Christmas time because I struggle with knowing what gifts to buy people. I don't know if any of you kind of relate to this, and and men with our wives, we're kind of terrible at this, and and sometimes women don't help us because we don't want to get on Christmas Day and say, oh, if I'd only known, you didn't like that. So sometimes we'll say to our wives, and this is a clue, we need your help. Hey, honey, what do you want for Christmas? That's a big clue, okay? We're not trying to hide anything, And, and sometimes women will say, Oh, you don't have to worry about me. Don't get me anything. Woe to the man that believes that lie. <laughs> okay? I mean, that is a lie. That is a, just a bold-faced lie. So, you know, so then the, the society we live in has helped us out. If you struggle with not wanting to say this when you give a gift is we can give gift cards, right? And some of you are like, hey, that's not real personal. But in my world, it's real practical. Because they can go get what they want, and I won't have to say if I'd only known. But did you know this? Over 8 billion gift cards a year just go unused. If that's you, hit my address. I'll make it available to you at the end of the service. Well, what's interesting about the Christmas story is God does not want any of us to have to say this. He doesn't want any of us to have to say this when we die when, when, when we, if we face judgment, he doesn't want any of it. Because can you imagine standing before a holy God and saying, if I'd only known? I mean, that, that would be, whoa, that'd be tough. It's tough to say it, you know, when, when your marriage is messed up. It's tough to say it when you drank one too many drinks. But can you imagine getting to the end of your existence on this earth, standing before God and saying, if I'd only known? And so God has designed the entire Christmas story so that we can know right now before it's to a place of regret, so we can know right now some crucial and important things 
about what God has done, what God is doing, and our invitation to share in that. So we're going to be in Luke's gospel to talk about this story uh, of Christmas and how God has designed Christmas so we never, ever, ever have to say this. So if you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn it on or open it up, or you can read with me on our TV screen here as we get going in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Here's the Word of God. This is a history text, so this is telling us actual history written by a doctor named Luke, who is a phenomenal historian. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire, so the Roman Empire, should be registered or a census should be taken. The first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. Notice Luke's details. It's like a good history story. While so-and-so was the governor and -and so-and-so was the president, here's what happened in a particular place. It's just history. So everyone went to be registered, and to be registered, you had to go to your birth town or your hometown. So each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. So long ago in the Bible, God had made a prophecy that said His Son or the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, the Savior, would be born in a place called Bethlehem. Well, Mary is is the one who's holding the Christ child in her body or the Messiah, and so we've got to get the Messiah from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And so this census order from Caesar Augustus is the mechanism that's going to be used to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecy so that Jesus is born in the town of Bethlehem, so, which is called Bethlehem, which, which he, was of the house, or he was of the house of the family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and pregnant with Jesus, with the Christ child. While they were there, they, the time came for her to give birth, and then she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough, or we might have heard the word, manger, because there was no room for them in the inn or in the lodging place. And here's kind of the first two, if, I, if I'd only known comments, that we want to make. First one is to God. God, you've been planning for thousands of years to bring a Savior, a Messiah, the Christ, into the world. And it seems like you did a pretty bad job planning because Motel 6 is sold out in Bethlehem. I mean, can you think about that? Like God who can silence a storm, God who can create something from nothing, God who can raise the dead, God who can cause a virgin to be pregnant, God can't plan his own son's arrival, so he has to be born in a manger And now listen, this is God, think Jesus is God, who is being born in the the trough, in the feeding trough. This is not like the royal palace where you would expect God to be born or royalty to be born or someone of such importance to be born, but God has designed the story in such a way so you never ever have to say, if I had only known. More to come. The second I had only, if I'd only known, is think about the guy running this place. Teenage couple shows up. She's about to have a baby. Got no room for you. Do you know who's about to be born? I mean, don't you think if you'd only known, you'd have found a way to get a room, get a bed, get a couch, get something instead of putting her here? I mean, God, innkeeper, hotel manager, if you had only known. So the Christmas story is just kind of full of people who at various points, if I'd only known, but what we have to see is all this is by design. 
I want to show you a, a video that will illustrate this point of if I'd only known, and it'll put you in the Christmas spirit. It's a fantastic video about what a company or an airline company called WestJet did for some of their passengers a few years ago. It's called the Christmas Miracle, which now they do a version of this every year. Take a look at this video. Was a night before Christmas, and all across the land, the good folks at WestJet had a miracle planned. On the eve before flying, the guests were in their beds. Visions of traveling danced in their heads. While out on the runway, something secret had arrived. It was left in the lounge. It was a Christmas surprise. Christmas this year, Cohen. A choo-choo train. Ho, ho, ho. A classic. Do you like Thomas? Yeah. And what would Mommy and Daddy like for, for Christmas? Big TV. Yeah, big TV. Ho, ho, ho. A big TV. You're looking fabulous. Well, I need to. What I need is uh, new socks and underwear. An Android tablet. While the guests told their Christmas wishes to good old St. Nick, WestJetters took notes and got ready to shop quick. It was a great rush with the two flights in the air to get all those presents, not a moment to spare. The same bells ring and there's children singing tonight. A light's up brighter and oh, it's a beautiful sight. There's no place on the world and snowy and Everything ready, we all had to wait for the moment of truth at Carousel 8.
That's so cool. It like automatically gets you in the Christmas spirit. But there's one person in there I bet you say it if I'd only known. <laughs> you know who it is, don't you? The socks and underwear guy. I mean, it's a real practical gift, but hey, buddy, you missed it big time. Because, I mean, he's sitting there like, man, if I don't, because he's seeing people get a big screen TV, a camera, a galaxy, a tablet, and there he is with socks and underwear, probably fruit of the loom, you know? <laughs> if I had only known, if I had only known, your God, my God, the God of the Bible, the God of history, the God of Christmas, never wants you to get to a point in your life or in this spoke spectrum of eternity where you have to say, if I had only known. And here's how he's done that. The first thing we want to see, and we've seen this in the first seven verses of Luke chapter 2, is we need to know that Christmas is all part of a plan. That this original story, while it seems coincidence here and happenstance there, and there's no room in the end, and Jesus is born in a manger, if you read how Luke tells the story, he talks about a real family in a real time, in a real place, going to a real city in accordance with an actual prophecy uttered hundreds of years before these, these historical events, that there is an intentional plan that God is weaving together, and God wants us to know that this is all part of a plan, and it is part of a plan to get our attention, and that's why we're still talking about it, and that's why when you drive down the road, you still see manger scenes, and, and that's why we're all familiar with the word manger, even though we rarely use it, even in agricultural uh, economies or, or families or farms today. Because that word manger means something. Bethlehem. Even if you've been out of church for a while or forever, you've probably heard a manger. You've probably heard Bethlehem. Because God designed this story in such a way so that we would know it's all part of a plan that has been in the heart of God, the mind of God, the work of God since before God said, let there be light. So the story continues as we see God's plan at Christmas unfold. Verse 8, chapter 2. In the same region, some shepherds were staying out in the field and keeping watch at night over the flock. And then something happens. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. The weight of the Lord, the, the power of God shone around them. And they were terrified. I mean, let me, let, put yourself in their shoes, okay? Shepherds in Jesus' day were low, low lives. They didn't have much clout in society. In fact, their testimony could not even be counted in a court of law. Religious people didn't like shepherds because sheep take a lot of work. And so the shepherds couldn't really observe the Sabbath, and the shepherds couldn't really do all the religious, spiritual, check-the-box kind of things that the Pharisees and the religious people thought they ought to be doing. So shepherds didn't have a lot of clout, didn't have a lot of money, weren't thought of, and then God comes in and plops right down beside them one night. Imagine if holy God came in with his glory and sat down beside you. You'd be scared too because you'd wonder, what have I done wrong? You'd wonder, is God going to get me or punish me because God knows what everything I've ever done. So the shepherds are terrified. But the angel says to them, don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, now call time out. Call time out for just a second. What is God doing? 
if youth were bringing royalty into the world, Think about in England when the royal announcement comes about a wedding or an engagement or the birth of a new child, how broadcast that is through every mechanism possible. If you want to get a message out and a message spread, do you go to people that, do you tell people that most people don't think very much of? Do you tell the shepherds of society? But God's communicating something because it's all part of a plan. So you and I never have to get to a place in our eternity where we say, if I'd only I'd known God. And here's the message they begin to communicate. Well, today, a Savior who is Messiah the Lord was born for you, so for all the people, for you in the city of David or in Bethlehem. And so here's the message of the shepherd. If the first announcement of this stuff called good news, this stuff about a Savior, a Messiah, a Lord being born into the world that will bring joy to all the people, if the first news is going to the least likely of people, if the first news is going to people that culture and society say are worthless, if this first announcement, this first propagation of God's plan and what's going on to the shepherds, why do you think God would have it first go to the shepherds? Because he wants all of us to know no matter where you are in life, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've thought of, is he wants you to know that you, we, all of us are included in God's plan. This isn't a plan for the spiritually elite. This isn't a plan for people who, quote, have their lives all together. This isn't a plan just for the church people or the religious people. This isn't a plan just for people who, who kind of know the deal and can read the Bible. This isn't for the goody two-shoes. This is for people people. This is for people with a past. This is for people who are broken. This is for people who think God has forgotten about them. This is for the people who are like, this is going to be the toughest Christmas ever because this is my first Christmas without my loved one. This is going to be a tough Christmas because this is my first Christmas as a divorcee or as a widow. This is going to be a tough Christmas because I don't know about my job come January 1. And when God makes the announcement to the shepherds and he says it will be good news of great joy for all the people, it's God wanting us to know something that all kinds of people are included in his plan. Now, here's the other beautiful part of this, okay? He says this is good news for you, for you. And I want you to know something. I want you to know that you and I are the reason for the season. Jesus came Because we needed him to come. Jesus came because we needed something or someone to do something that we cannot do for ourselves. If we didn't need Jesus, he would not have come. He came because of us. So the real reason for the season are the shepherds are the you and I's of the world. So when you're at your family Christmas gatherings and that difficult relative comes up to you, just pat him on the back with a smile and say, hey, buddy, you're the reason for the season. (laughs) All right. So we know that we're the reason for the season. But why is it good news for people like you and I? And that's the third thing we need to know. We need to know why the good news of Christmas is good. Why is the good news of Christmas good? And to help us understand the depth of this, 
and, and the joy of this and why it's totally good news for all people, whether you're a shepherd or not. Why is it always good news? Let me pose it in the form, form of a question. If I ask you, hey, how do you get on God's good side? How do you get on God's good side? Most of us do something very similar to what we would do if we ask, hey, can, can you, you want to buy this or can you afford this? If I ask you, hey, can you afford a beach house, you, you're going to immediately look in your mind quickly or not, and you're going to look in your bank account, your financial bank account, a, a, or your credit score, and you're going to say yes or no based on what's in your bank account. So when I ask you, hey, how do you get on God's good side, or you know, some of you might have heard the question phrase, how do you know you're going to go to heaven when you die? Here's what most of us are tempted to do. We look in our moral bank account. And we say, well, I, I, I've done good things, and I, I've been to church a few times, or I'm not as bad as those other Joes over there, or I'm not like a terrorist or a murderer, or I'm pretty good at the Ten Commandments. And so we kind of look at our moral, spiritual, religious bank account the same way you do when you're asking if you can afford something. You look at your financial kind of bank account. But, but here's the problem with that. Jesus came as a Savior you need a Savior if you can't do something, buy something, afford something, or get out of something by yourself. So Jesus came because you and I have a moral debt. You and I have a spiritual bankruptcy. You and I have a problem in that we have rebelled against God. So when the question becomes, hey, how do you get on God's good side? And we want to look at that moral bank account. We want to look at our, our spiritual religious you know, inventory and say, well, I've done this, this, and this, or I'm not this, this, and that. So surely God's good with me and I can be on God's good side. You're not. Because you need, I need, Mother Teresa needs, Billy Graham needs, a CNN's hero of the year needs, a savior. And I can't, you can't, CNN's Hero of the Year can't, Billy Graham can't save myself or themselves or yourself. But Jesus came for us. And here's the beautiful thing. When Jesus becomes your Savior and Lord, which is what He is, when He becomes your Savior and Lord, instead of looking at your bank account, your moral, religious, spiritual bank account, you look at Jesus's. And he never sinned, and he paid your debt with the life he lived, the death he died, and the resurrection he received. So he paid your debt. And so if I gave you $100 million, not that I could do that, but if I gave you $100 million, and then I asked you, hey, can you buy that new beach house? You'd say, you bet your socks I can, right? You bet your socks and underwear I can. <laughs> when Jesus gave his life for you, when Jesus died your death, when Jesus was raised to life, and if you're willing to receive that gift, if God says, hey, why do I let you in? Like, because Jesus is my bank account. I've got Jesus in my life. So there's some truths you need to understand that make the good news good news. And here they are, just so we understand them. First one is this. God created us for His glory. God didn't create us for my glory or your glory. He created us for His glory, His honor, and His fame. Therefore, our joyful purpose is to live for His glory. Whether you throw a football, or run a business, or make carpet, or manage a bank, or sell real estate, God created us to live for His glory. Whether you're a single mom, 
Whether you're married with kids, whether you're a retiree, God created us to live for His glory. But all of us have failed to glorify God. It's not just we've done something wrong. It's not just we've sinned. We have failed to live up to the standard of God's glory. Therefore, we are all under just condemnation. We are all under, the condemn- we're all under just condemnation of God. We deserve His wrath. We do not deserve to be included in God's family. We do, not to be deserve, we do not deserve to be included in that plan that God has had all along. But guess, let's look what God did. God sent His Son to save sinners and to bring them eternal joy. You know what the joy is? The joy comes in part from knowing I'm bankrupt. There's nothing I can do. And yet God has done something freely for me despite the fact that I don't deserve it and can't earn it. That's joy. When someone gives you a gift, like, did you see the joy on the passengers of WestJet's passenger's face? They didn't deserve it. They didn't expect it. But you saw the joy. Why? Because it was so free and so unexpected. And that is just an ounce compared to the joy of the oceans of God's grace and love. But gifts have to be received. Gifts have to be received. A gift that sits under the Christmas tree is useless. $8 billion worth of gift cards are useless unless they're used to purchase or get a gift. And so we're going to see these shepherds, these lowlifes, the low castes of society, so to speak, see what they do in light of this good news that they've received. Verse 12, this will be the sign for you. Now, remember, remember, remember what we said was a sign that maybe God was not a good planner? Remember the sign that maybe God didn't know what he was doing? Because surely, God, you've had thousands of years. Surely you could have made a reservation. Remember that sign? Look, you will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in that feeding trough. That's going to be the sign. That's how you're going to know. Because you know what wasn't normal in their culture nor in ours? For babies to be born in slop troughs. But this is how you're going to know that this is the Messiah. This is that Savior. This is the Lord that you need, shepherd. That's why you're terrified. But I don't want you to be terrified because it's great joy because he's coming to save you and be your king. And this is how you're going to know about your king. You're going to find him in a slop trough. Suddenly, and this doesn't even make sense. So the, the God of the universe is going to be as low as a feeding trough for ox and cows and donkeys. And suddenly they start praising God. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. We're praising God because he's doing something. He's fulfilling his plan He's including all kinds of people, or as we say at Rockbridge, people from all walks of life. And so when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened. And here's our key phrase, which the Lord has made known to us, because he doesn't want shepherds like you and me to ever stand before him and say, God, if I'd only known. So he's designed a plan. He's included us in the plan. He's made the plan good news to sinners and rebels who fall short of the glory of God like you and I. And the sign for the shepherds that this is the one you need, this is the one who can save you, this is the one who can lead you, this is the one who can take the steering wheel of your life, is the manger. And so in the manger, we see this. It's planned by God. 
to showcase his son to the shepherds. We see that it's glorious. It's glorious that God is, goes from the highest of heavens to the lowest place on earth to be born. It shows us the humility of God. It shows us that God has not come to pay us back. God has rather come to bring us back. It shows us that God has stepped into our flesh, has become one of us to do what we cannot do for ourselves, which is save ourselves and lead our lives correctly. And The manger is step one in the young Jesus' life because he will take the path of service, the path of humility, the path of sacrifice, all the way from the manger or his crib to the cross. Listen to this biography of Jesus in Philippians 2, verse 6. Though he was God, Jesus, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. That's the manger. And it's the cross. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being in a manger. That's lower than most human beings are ever born. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. All of this is planned by God. To include shepherds and sinners like you and me. To show us why we need this this type of good news. And then so God can give the invitation. And the invitation is perhaps different than maybe you've heard it or know it. The invitation is to follow Jesus. Listen to me, everybody here. The invitation is not to miss hell. The invitation is not let Jesus be your bosom buddy and your insurance person. The invitation is that Jesus is both the Savior you need and the Lord you need to follow. So the invitation is to follow Jesus. And we get that from the title the angel gives Jesus, which is the title of Lord. Back in Jesus' day, he's saying Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. In our day, it comes more like this. You and I are not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And you can't just have Jesus as your Savior and not as your Lord. Now, here's the tough part of Lord. Here's the tough part of Lord. It means part of salvation, part of following Jesus, is he's calling the shots. He's got the steering wheel. Now, to show us how hard this is, just as a show of hands at all our campuses, whether you're here, uh, any, any of our campuses, is how many of you just hate it when somebody tells you what to do? Just raise your hand. All right, th- those of you whose hands are up, look at everybody whose hands are down. They hate it more than you do. I'm raising my hand for no pastor, preacher. We all, I mean, we just hate to be told what to do. But listen, would you want to stand before God and say, God, if I'd only known, I thought you were just an insurance salesman that I needed to not go to the bad place. No, no, no. You need him to be your Lord. You need him to be your king. You need him to be your savior. You need him to pay your debt, to lead your life. You need Jesus. And guess what? Now you know. So here's my question to you. How do you know Jesus today? If you do not know Jesus today, 
As the Savior, you need to pay your debt. And the Lord, you need to live your life. Would you right now, in your heart, say yes to Jesus? I'm going to say a prayer. And what I would like for you to do is while we sing a song of response, you can just take this next step card that I referred to at the beginning and you can simply say, on the, uh, you can let us know, I want to follow Jesus. You can let us know how we can pray for you. Part of following Jesus is also getting baptized. He said, obey me, get baptized. Maybe that's you as well. But how do you know Jesus? Your God loves you too much. He's designed Christmas as a unique act of history to tell us and show us what he's done for us and who he is for us so that none of us will ever have to stand before him and say, if I had only known. Thanks be to God. So how do you know Jesus? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's pray with me. Lord, King, and Savior, today we have fully come to know who you are as revealed to us in your plan at the first Christmas. God, you are a God of the shepherds. You are a God who comes into the manger, into the low places of life. You are a God who came to save us, to die for us, to live for us. You are a God who came back to life to verify your identity as Lord as king, as acceptable Savior. God, the question we've asked in our souls, our hearts today, is how do we know Jesus? And I pray right now, God, that clarity and, if necessary, conviction and comfort is coming in the heart after heart after heart. Lord, for those who are saying, I need to know Jesus as my Savior and as my Lord, I thank you for that clarity. I pray you give them the courage to say yes the courage to let this church know so this church can help them become a follower of Jesus. I pray for those next steps, Holy Spirit, that you're stirring people to take. And I thank you, Jesus, that this good news is good news for all the people and that it's good news of great joy because, King Jesus, you are a great Savior. You are a great Lord, and we know you that way. So it is in your mighty, holy, and amazing name we pray. Amen.